Let me introduce you to uh, Andy and Luke, uh, if, uh, unless Luke's run away. Oh, there he is. There's Luke. Give, can you give him a round of applause for being here today? Have, have, a, have a seat. I'll entrust that to Luke. You, they're going to have to share a microphone today so they don't talk over each other. So, uh, but it depends who's got hold of it as to who can talk. But it's great to have you guys here today. Thank you so much Thank you. for being here and uh, for making time out in busy times and schedules uh, to come and be here. Now, some of you may know Andy uh, and Luke, or Andy or Luke, or Luke or Andy. Some of you may not know them at all, so I thought it'd be great just to begin a little bit. So, Luke, as you've got the microphone, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your story of faith. Uh, Obviously, very short, but uh, give us a brief synopsis of that, won't you? (laughs) Thanks, Tim. Um, Good morning, everyone. See, um, I've kind of had a connection, a friendship with this church for, I'm not sure, maybe 15 years, um, and lived in Stoke for a number of years working with Christian unions here. Um, What do I do is, well, a lot of my time is sort of glorified zookeeper because you may have seen or more likely heard my three children here. Um, So that's sort of like taming the monkeys. And then the rest of the time in terms of what I do with work, I work for a small organisation that works with Christian organisations and churches to think about um, how do we engage people better with the message of Jesus. So I'm either working with people on developing new creative projects or I'm speaking at new creative projects that they're doing, most often with university students, but not only, and that tends to be around Europe. And did you want me to say about my journey. Yeah, how did, you, how did you get to know Jesus? Because uh, you obviously talk a lot about him, so tell us a little bit about how you got to know him. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of two versions you can tell, really. I, um, when I was a kid, my mum had recently had an experience of God, and it was quite a real thing for her. Um, so I, don't, I think that a lot of my questions, hard questions and hard doubts came uh, well into my 20s actually growing up I just it just seemed so real to her um, and, and it, so it was attractive it was real and tangible and then I met other people of whom that became true so somebody I was talking to last week who grew up in a similar context said to me it was like um, it's like you went for a walk on a misty day and you know that at the beginning you were dry you know that at the end you were wet but you don't know when it happened. And so I think there's a little bit of that. And I could tell the story in terms of more, more dramatic, clear points that mattered because I think they happened. But, yeah, that's kind of my discovery of Christ. That's fantastic. Thank you. That's really helpful. And uh, I'm sure there are others here who can relate to that sort of story of faith. Um, Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself as well. Well, well done, Luke, for sharing so well, <laughs> first of all. Um, my name's Andy Kind. I'm from Newcastle-under-Lyme, and I'm currently living here um, as well. Which is, which is good news, and I got uh, confirmed at St. Giles Church on the, on the roundabout in the, uh, in the early 90s. Uh, I am a, a comedian and, and a preacher and a writer, so the reason I'm not here very often is because I'm usually away uh, gigging and preaching. I was in Maidstone last night, so drove back straight after the gig, got home at 3 a.m., so there's a chance that I'm still dreaming. I've actually forgotten to turn up to church this morning. Hey, the, I'm still our young bed. people didn't even get to sleep, well, so, and okay. they're still here. Well, it was, it's not a competition. Tim, um, <laughs> and then um, so that's what I, that's what I do. And um, in terms of my similar story, really, through my mum, my mum and dad are both first generation Christians. And when I was five, I had a, a very bad nervous twitch 
I used to uh, shake my head and blink compulsively. I had the full set, basically. And um, my, I, my teacher shouted at me at Westlands County Primary School, as it, as it was then. Uh, there was a teacher called Mrs. Jones who one day said, Will you stop shaking your head? And I went home very upset. And, and so mum prayed for me that night. She put her hand on my uh, head. I was lying down. And I said, Mum, I feel really dizzy. What's happening? And she said, well, that's, oh, that's the Holy Spirit coming to take away your twitch. And uh, as she left the room, I remember thinking, any moment now, I'm going to blink compulsively. I'm going to twitch my head. And I waited, I waited. I've been waiting for sort of 35 years now. So, um, so that was great. So I had this experience, experience of my mum really seeming to know this person called Jesus and then having this experience myself. And obviously that doesn't, that's, you can't live off that forever, even though I've just, that's the story I've told. But you actually have to have not just more experiences, but you actually have to, when, when the mud hits the wall and stuff, re- when you really go through the valley of the shadow of death, which we all have, you actually need to have more than just experiences, um, which is sort of why I've got into the work that I have, because I want to help people to make sense of the Christian story and explain why it makes sense amongst the competing worldviews. Fantastic, Andy. Well, today uh, Mrs. Jones is here, so uh, welcome, Mrs. Jones. Well done. But, uh, mate, I didn't know that bit about your story. That, that's amazing to think that that very dramatic sort of anchor point for you in that as well. So you both encountered Jesus, so, and you both, that was a little while ago for most of you. So what, why is Jesus still, still the best story that we've got to tell? What, why is the story of Jesus so compelling, do you think, today? Well, I think, I think probably um, there's a lot of ways you can answer that, which I think is part of the richness of Christ, isn't it? That you could talk about how, how Jesus forgives us, which I think the need for forgiveness is something people might feel intensely. The fact that, that Jesus sees us and knows us, um, sometimes we, when we feel alone, to know that we're, we're seen and we're known. The fact that to reconcile ourselves to God is not our work, but something Jesus does is for those of us who are performance-oriented, something which is, which is good news to us. So you can answer it a lot of ways. Um, I think like the heart, maybe, is... We, we don't live in a reality where we're making our own way, actually. And it was interesting, the reading um, was... Um, forget the exact phrasing of John 1, but through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So that includes us. And that includes every context that we're in. And he's a light who gave light to the world. So in some sense, everybody has these little flickers of light of Christ. And so you could say that to be alive is the experience of God. And people are haunted, I think, by, by living within that, living in God's reality, living by those flickers of light of something more. And so Christ, I guess, gives God a face. He gives God a name and actually says, you're not left in confusion I've shown you who I am and not only have I shown you informationally I've made a way for you personally to connect and live with your maker so that you're not just his creation but his children so I think probably that connection with reality the sense of not being adrift I would say I don't know what you'd say Andy I would say verbatim what you said so let's move on no um, I think um, yes absolutely what you said is, is spot on but people don't People aren't out there thinking they need to be forgiven. That's not people's primary aim. They need to be loved. They want to know that they're loved and known, which is also something that, as you mentioned in, in, in the gospel. Um, and, you know, we've got... Everyone's aware. It's very interesting because things are changing quite quickly. 
sort of Generation um, Z, which are the young people now, are very different to millennials, the generation before them. So you couldn't say to a, a, a millennial, you know that you're broken, because they don't think they're broken, they think they're amazing. They're the most self-entitled generation that there's ever been. But you can say to Generation Z, you know that they're broken. It's not the same as saying, you know you're a bad person, but they know that they're broken. Uh, and so the way we frame things has to be different to the, according to who we're talking to. But what everybody knows is that life is dark. Everybody, even everyone in this room, we know from the last few years, if not before, that life is quite dark. And the great thing that we have to offer is real light and real warmth. So three of the nouns that describe God in the New Testament, love, light, and life. And it's not that these things can't be found elsewhere, but most people mistake real light and real warmth for bright lights and flickering candles. So it's not that people can't experience love and light in life, but because we're made in the image of God, we're made to experience these things. But the great story of the gospel, the thing that we have in our arsenal, um, is that we know the guy who doesn't just provide love, light, and life, but is these things. And so the key to evangelism, which maybe you'll ask about next, what on earth is that? But the key to evangelism is trying to invite people to get closer, not to tell them that they're wrong about what they believe or where they are, but to say, look, if you, if you want love and light and warmth, let me introduce you to the guy who is these things. Come closer to the fire. Come closer to the Christmas hearth. Come out of the dark, out of the cold. Yeah, and, it, and it's that, that compelling, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's that compelling. So, so how do you do that, Luke? So in, in the work you do, yeah. I mean, you do very different work from the, Andy does. So how do you, Luke, how do you in, make that invitation to people? Encourage them to come closer? Yeah, um, I mean, not, in, not as a monologue. I mean, to be honest, like I do think that you, you see Jesus' model is when Jesus communicated about himself, he'd tell stories and he'd ask questions. And I do think that, that it's in that interpersonal mode. And so even in public events, I try to generate discussion in the room, generate conversations, because um, I think one of the things that makes us think it's hard to do this, there's two things I think that make us think it's hard to do this at the moment. One is... The percentage of people who go to church in this country is relatively low. I think probably your highest estimate would be maybe 8% a month or something. So the percentage of people going to church is fairly low. And people also talk in this country about being a a post-Christian country. What they mean by that is generally almost everyone would identify as Christian. Now people be, I don't know what I am. And so those facts loom large in our mind and we think we're in a hostile and difficult environment. In my experience... I don't know that we are, but I think they do generate a situation where, um, where people are perhaps slower to come to faith. Um, and, so we, and we mistake that slowness for disinterest. And actually, I found, I've, and this isn't just my opinion, talking because I've worked with lots of different groups, especially as Andy said, Generation Z, sort of teenage and 20s people, would say this is the most open generation. And the biggest problem is Christians don't realise how open people are um, but, but because people are slow to come to faith we have to generate the capacity to have conversations with people and for that conversation to not be this highly pressured make or break oh my gosh I'm going to slap this guy into the kingdom through my logic but just a genuine interpersonal human conversation as I might talk about anything else and for that then to lead into 
other conversations. And I do that in structured events, and you know, I have specific ways I think that work really well to bring people from structured events into considering Christ long-term. The other thing is, like, if you're doing that yourself with people in your life, you just have to know that you have far less control than I do in a structured event or than, than we do here. And so you, you, that, you can feel like you want to replicate what a preach is, which is like in this conversation, you know, I had three points that I'd love to get across and then I'd love to invite them to do something. What you have to say is, you know, if, in a, if a warmly human interaction, I can offer a fragment of something, whether that's why Christ is true or who Christ was or what he means to me. If we can have a fragment that isn't forced and doesn't kill the opportunity for further conversation, then win, I would say. Winning arguments uh, doesn't win souls, unfortunately, which isn't to say that good logic and reason aren't important. They're very important. But um, I think certainly when I was quite a new Christian, um, I was keen to show that I was right. Which is, which is great, but you find your friends dropping off a, a, a cliff. Not throwing themselves off cliffs. It wasn't, didn't go that badly. Um, all the best. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I think sort of the, the sort of the British evangelical model over the previous generations has been to uh, give good advice and ask for respect. That's the sort, that's the sort of Christendom mindset. Here's the advice. The advice is, you need to become a Christian. You know you're a sinner. Uh, come to church, become a Christian, or God will send you to hell. Whatever. And that you know, may or may not be true, but it's give good advice and ask for respect. Whereas what we need to do now, whether we like it or not, is give good gifts in the form of service, in the form of being, being generous with our time and money, and ask good questions. So give good gifts and ask good questions. And actually, there's nothing... What, what we want is to, is to build relationships because actually that's what that's what the lord did really uh, and that's what we're offering we're not just offering a uh, a set of principles for people to a, a agree with actually and again most people have you get down to say what what jesus is what he stands for most people will say yeah that sounds really good that's not that doesn't invite them into a relationship with with the lord um so i find the way to a way to do it is Rather than telling people what I believe and what they should believe, is asking them what they believe. Asking them what's important to them, what, what they care about at the moment, what's, what's on their heart. Finding the common ground and then showing that the story of Jesus is the answer to that. So we've got to respect people enough to actually try and respond to the questions that they're really asking not just the questions that Billy Graham told us to ask or to answer. So I did a talk in Nottingham last week, and um, they said, can you preach on the question, is Jesus the only way to God? I said, I will. But I started the talk by saying, if you want the short answer, yes, Jesus is the only way to God. But you also need to understand that no one's asking that question. Christianity is not the monolith at the center of our society that it was in the, in the 1940s, 50s, 60s. People aren't asking questions about the way to God because everyone's so self-absorbed. They want to know, who am I? How can I find my identity? How can I find meaning and relevance? And the great news is the gospel is still the best story for that. But we just have to reframe it slightly. In the, like in, you know, we started off with John 1. In John 21, so the final, the, the, the other bookend to the book of John, the final chapter of the final gospel, 
when Jesus, they've gone back to fishing, because obviously it's been a disaster following Jesus, and he meets them and finds them on the beach, and um, they've been out fishing all night, they've caught nothing. Jesus doesn't say, oh, you need to go around to the other cove, or you need to get a bigger boat, because that's Jaws, that's not the gospel. He says, have you thought about taking your net and putting it on the other side of the boat? Just one little switch, one change of direction. What we've got is great, but sometimes the way we frame it is important. So rather than telling people what to believe, asking them what they believe, and then sharing the good news from there. Yeah, and, and it's great to, to know that there is hope out there, isn't there, for us, that we, we don't have to be on the back foot in this all the time. I think we feel we're on the back foot, yeah. and we're a bit scared about evangelism, aren't we? You know, because we've tried lots of things, but actually perhaps there's a new way that we need to be doing it. And actually, th- there was a recent report, wasn't there, called Talking Jesus Report, which was done in the UK, which actually had a lot of hope with it, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you want me to say what it's yeah, like? Tell so, us a so it's a big report. Um, I think they interviewed, what was it, two or 3,000 yeah. people about their perspectives on faith. And um, I was trying to pull up the statistics on my phone, and I didn't. But g- Google it, <laughs> the Talking Jesus report. But basically, it found that the people are pretty positively disposed towards Jesus. People who know Christians generally liked those Christians and respected their faith. Those people who knew Christians and had had conversations with Christians felt, didn't feel like it diminished anything when they had that conversation. Because often that's a fear, isn't it? That we're going to talk to somebody and we're going to scare them off. Um, and maybe that's because, you know, as Andy said, in maybe when we were slightly younger in the faith, we didn't particularly choose wise and appropriate ways to communicate our faith and we did scare people off but I, I don't find I, don't, I talk more often to people about that fear than about the actuality I don't hear a lot of people who actually are scaring people off and the report seemed to suggest that something like a third of those conversations actually make people more intrigued and more interested in Jesus So, um, and I think it's interesting as well that the report was talking about um, Actually, do you know that something like half the people in this country believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus? Isn't that insane? Like, you wouldn't think that, would you? And there was another report a few years ago that said 50% of people pray. Say, you're in a shopping queue, or you're on a bus, or you're walking down the street, and there's someone either side of you. Chances are one of those people prays, right? And we don't think like that. and And so one of the things we need to know is that, and what I've noticed in the stuff I'm doing in universities, is people are thinking about this stuff but they're not ever having a context where they can talk about it so you have to understand that when you have a conversation with someone that's something of a gift to someone that you you know something i'd love to talk to people about who are not christians is do you ever pray what do you pray about like who like what's your picture when you think about who you're praying to not in an aggressive pretext for me to jump in with something but just in a genuine dialogue means and so I found this report quite encouraging I also jumped out at me that that how many Christians talked about conversations that were important to them in coming to faith because it was interesting that Andy said that his um, both Andy and I said it was our mums right and so it is you're just kind of being people's mums (laughs) and just having a genuine faith that you're willing to talk about yeah I think that's, that's fantastic, really, and I think it is that sense of we can have some confidence in this, can't we? You know, and I think, I think we feel always that we are 
in the minority, which we may be in terms of uh, attending church, but actually there's much more openness out there in the generations of the people that we encounter. But it's how to start the conversation. Yeah, so I'll give it back to you. Go on. As I was going to say, if you Google Talking Jesus Report, it is free on the internet, yeah. so you can read it, and it gives good advice on like what that means for us. Thank you. Good. <laughs> so the art of conversation... Yeah, yeah. We had COVID. Do you think that's had an effect on conversations? Are we more reluctant now, or is, is there still a space for us to enter the conversation? Do you think that people are having? I think people are much more self-aware and a bit more standoffish. Just generally, uh, I noticed that in in gigs, even um, it's difficult. People are, because that's much more self-aware. People react slower to react to things generally. Um, <clears throat> but yes, of course. Conversation comes through uh, community and, and relationship. And actually, C.S. Lewis said, all church should be local. So, you know, we're so lucky here. We're arguably the biggest church in, in the area. We're a big, a big church by national standards. And you all have uh, neighbours on either side. And actually, I think we can, we can overwhelm ourselves with what we have to do with evangelism. Yeah. Uh, evangelism is just sharing good news and being good news. And, and to, some people, to some people, good news just looks like being given a hot meal when they can't afford one. That's the gospel to people who've got no, no food. Um, a, a, you know, a, a pack of nappies for their child. If you, they don't have kids, don't give them nappies. You know, I'm trying to help, I'm trying to be practical here. Don't just randomly give people nappies. Like a donkey or something. I don't, I don't have anywhere to put it. Um, but responding to a, a need, good news looks different. Good news isn't simply become a Christian or, or God will be angry with you. That isn't good news at all. That's at best good advice. But the great thing is that society is trying to give everybody advice. Everything that you buy is because you've been advised to buy it. We've got the option of giving people good news. You are loved. You are known. Purpose and joy and peace are real and you can experience them. When you're praying, you don't have to just pray to this vague sky clown or sense of spirituality. There is a real personal God who knows you and is listening and is responding to you, not always in the way that you want, but is responding to you and is with you. Like God is with you and is for you. He's not against you because of your sin. He's with you against your sin. Always. That's the good news. It's an amazing story. It's an am- and it's, a, it's true as well. Yeah. So, but I think, bless your neighbors. Make cakes for your neighbors. Offer to wash their cars or mow their lawns. If someone could mow my lawn, that would be really <laughs> helpful. Because my neighbour Mick across the road, he's in a mood with I can tell he's got a co- real cob on because I haven't mowed my lawn on, <laughs> on Stockwood Road in Seabridge and I've, I'm showing the street up. Everyone else has got perfect lawns, but they're all retired. I don't have the time to mow my lawn the whole time. So if someone, one of you could do it, that'd be great. Um, but bless your neighbours. You know, defiance and derision are not fruits of the spirit. And sometimes because we're so afraid of getting it wrong... Yeah. We actually just clam up a little bit. And when people sh- tell us what they believe, we'll say things like, oh, I don't think much of that. Oh, well, no, that's, um, that's wrong. Derision is not a fruit of the Spirit. Love, grace, peace, charity. 
The word doesn't return void, and neither does our, our giving. God so loved the world that he gave. As we give, as we are generous with our time, with our words, with our compliments, we just have to trust that it's, that it's not wasted. Because for so many people, they're not being given words of affirmation. They're not being given words of encouragement. They're not being given gifts. They're being told what to do and how to do it. We can just, like a drink offering, as Paul says, pour ourselves out in, in love. And that's the key to evangelism. It's not saying the right things. It's just, it's just, just seeping God's love out, out through us into our communities. And, and that's enough. That's all you need to do. Yeah. And I think the workplace is another great environment, isn't it, to be positive, to give those words of affirmation, to give, bring the gifts, you know, to, yeah. to bless a, a work colleague. Because at some, at some point there will, be a, uh, there will be a point where someone will say, why, you're so yeah. nice to me. Yeah. And then you say, well, I love God and I love people and Jesus has changed my life. And then that's, that's enough. And then you can say, um, hey, can I pray for you? What, yeah. What's on your heart? What yeah. do you need prayer for? Mm. It's as simple as that. You don't have to go and rove the streets like Luke does. Yeah. <laughs> In his pink trousers. And couldn't, even, converse, couldn't even dress up for church. He's looking very smart. And your tie is lovely, by the way, Andy, <laughs> Thank you, can sir. I just say. And his tie is lovely, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Luke, I just want let, to... Let's come back to Luke for a moment, because I, I want to just ask... So Peter says in his, in his letter, be prepared to give a reason for the hope you have. So how... What are the, some of the best ways for us to be prepared, do you think, that, that you could help us with? Yes. Can I say, I think they're red or salmon, rather than... <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I am... Um, it's all right. Just, if you're going to go after them, Andy. This is... Okay, so there's, there's, I mean, there's several ways you can prepare, but can I just tell you a story? About, like I was in a pub with a friend of mine, and several of us having a drink in this kind of courtyard in this pub. And, um, and my friend suddenly, she puts down her beer, and she walks across the pub courtyard. We see her walk over to this couple having dinner. We see her tap him on the shoulder. They exchange a few words. The guy bursts into tears. She puts her hand on his shoulder and she's praying for him. And then they exchange a few more words. She comes back, sits down, picks up a beer and takes another sip. And I'm an acts like nothing has happened. And then we're like, I was like, all right, what was that? And she said, I just felt like God wanted me to say this to this person. So I went over and said it and it turned out it was really appropriate. And I said to her, well, can you tell me what is your... Like, what is your philosophy of evangelism? And she said to me, um, it's basically this, that evangelism, which evangelism is the act of basically communicating about Jesus um, with the intent that people would somehow feel invited to continue considering him. And I said, what's your philosophy of evangelism? And she said, evangelism is something you do with God, not for God. And I think that's been very helpful in terms of shaping me as that stuck with me over the years. Uh, that whole thing of, you know, through him all things were made and he gives light to everybody. Often our view is, okay, in an interaction with, I would love to see person X come to Christ. Therefore, how do I bring God to them? What you have to understand is they live in God's world and God is already at work in their life. And he, God doesn't start the work when you turn up, and he doesn't finish it when you leave. So the fact he doesn't finish it when he leaves should take some pressure off you to do the complete job. But the fact he's already there before you go, actually, I think that a huge part of how we prepare 
is how we pray and how we look at people and situations. And so just finding myself praying a lot, God, what are you doing in this situation? And, and I find that when I kind of lose perspective in life is when I'm not praying this. God, what are you doing in this situation? What are you doing in this person's life? And how can I join in with what you're doing here? And I think, for example, what God is not doing in individuals but doing in culture that Andy hit on is that he's, he's opening up questions of how we deal with darkness and brokenness. And so actually, as Christians, considering... Yes, our own darkness and our own brokenness, firstly, kind of how Christ applies to that, and secondly, how we might speak that into other people's lives. But also just on the nitty-gritty of the conversation, just asking God to, to help you to be tuned into who that person is and what God's been doing in their life. Um, I mean, the other side is there are particular questions that tend to come up, right? And say it's helpful to read up on those and what or watch videos or whatever resource to be ready for those. But I definitely think the prayer side is crucial. And I think there's, there's probably people in this room, through no fault of your own and certainly no fault of the church, who don't really believe that God is pleased with them. And that's the thing that changes it. We, we share the gospel, we, we, we talk to people about Jesus, not so that we can please God, but because he's already pleased with us. God is pleased with you. He doesn't just love you. Like, you could go through the rest of your life not sharing the gospel or you know, trying to share the gospel and actually accidentally being sick on the person or falling over into a pond which has only just appeared. You could get it completely wrong and the Lord will still meet you at the end of your life and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You're not, you're not, we're not performance-based. I'm performance-based when I'm on stage, but that's my... That's my job. But we're not performance-based. We're grace-based. The worst that can happen when you tell someone that Jesus loves them is that you've told someone that Jesus loves them. And that's the worst that can happen. And that they don't respond. But you don't need to know that, again, God continues to be, to be there. But what you do know is that probably no one has told them before that God loves them. Lots of people in our society... The first question I normally ask when I'm going up to someone in the street or in a car park, I say, hey, I just want to let you know that God loves you. Have you ever been told that before? Most people say no. Well, you've already won then, haven't you? You've already given them good news. Whether they believe it or not, you've given them a story that they can think about. That actually there is a, a God of love who knows you and loves you. And can I pray for you that you'd meet him? And yeah, you know, we can't, we don't all feel comfortable giving words of knowledge and stuff, but that's, that's great. You don't, you don't have to be some sort of super spiritual person. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your life. Don't be afraid of it. Don't, don't feel um, self-pity or self-loathing. God is pleased with you. He's really proud of you. So go and strut your stuff. Thanks, Andy. That's, that's an amazing thought, really, isn't it? That God is pleased with you. And uh, as you said, Andy, there's people in the room who just needed to hear that today without any other pressure to do anything. You don't have to do anything because he is pleased with you. And uh, that's been really insightful. And I, and I think also what, what you both have done is helped us to see how, how we can be part of bringing light into some dark places. Yeah, uh, we, We'll just illuminate a little bit. You know, a flickering candle of our, of our lack, if you like, of, of our feeling of inadequacy. But every response to what God is doing from us to someone is, is a sign of his light coming into our world, isn't it? 
Guys, it's been amazing, and I really appreciate uh, the passion you both have. You've both written books, actually, which uh, are available today. So, it feels uh, like an episode of Graham Norton. Yeah, it is Graham Norton, yeah. Um, so Andy has written a very short book, <laughs> uh, recently published, uh, called Hidden in Plain Sight. So I recommend that to you. It's very simple to read, but really helpful. Uh, Andy has a great storytelling style um, uh, that is self-deprecating as well, which is always good. Um, but really, really good read, just to prompt some. So that's available. I have no idea what the cost is, Andy. I can tell you it's, um, it's £5 in the shops, but this morning we're doing a special NBC price of £20 per copy. Oh, so, that's, uh, no, that's amazing. We're, we're, no, we're doing £3 or two for five. I've even got a card machine. I'm like Book Rogers. <laughs> I've got a card machine. So if you, you, I can take cash, I can take card. Uh, so three pounds or two for five. Why not get one for yourself and get one for your neighbour and uh, and uh, do what we? I was going to say you've written it to be a giveaway, haven't you? It's a giveaway, as well. Yeah, so, uh, but you've still got to pay for it. But oh, you've got to pay. Whoever yeah, pays for it can give it away. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, get, yeah. we'll get that right. Don't, don't go round to your neighbour's house and say that'll be three pounds. Yeah. <laughs> But maybe that's the start of a conversation with somebody in the workplace or somebody in the family or in that space. Now, Luke, you've got two books. I've only got one of them so far. The myth of, of the non-Christian. Tell us a little bit about the myth of a non-Christian. Sure. So um, this is just really a framework for thinking about how we communicate about Jesus. It's specifically looking at, it starts, sort of starts with a framework for thinking, especially about how we engage people's questions of why should yeah. I believe? So not just the content, but when, what is it that draws people to faith? So I kind of draw out several elements that are helpful for us to think about. And then beyond there, it explores, especially around spiritual but not religious people, yeah. people who would say really that they're atheist or agnostic, or people who would say they're Christian but it's just a cultural identity. What are their questions? How can we answer some, their questions? What are some things we could practically do if we want to help them walk further in faith? So it's kind of uh, almost like a set of articles on that. And, and then the other book... Um, out there, both have been dramatically undercut by Andy's kind of <laughs> operation there. But <laughs> they, um, there's one called Campus Light. So um, about a couple of years ago, I travelled around the world looking at what God is, and interviewed a lot of people, looking at what God is doing in, within universities among his people and the way that, that he's sort of building these movements of drawing people to faith. And so it's a lot of first-hand stories, really. It starts with, um, starts with a story about me on the run from the KGB and, and only gets better from there. <laughs> that is true, it does. So how much, Andy? Uh, Luke, <laughs> how much, Andy? Oh, yeah, well, that, that, that one, this one is £5 and then the other one is, is £10, but, you know, obviously worth every penny. But I think and, Andy's is probably very attuned to what we're talking about yeah. this morning. But they're, they're different books, but very complementary of each other as well, I think, and can work really well. There's a subject that you know, you're feeling God is pressing in your heart a bit stronger. I think both are so, so helpful, both in understanding some of the culture of today, but also how we can prepare as well for those conversations that we have. So I recommend them both to you. Guys, thank you so much for coming. It's been, we could have gone on for another... How long? I don't know. Hour after hour after hour, couldn't we? Because it's so fascinating. But we, I know we'll see you both again at some point uh, next year as well, and we'll look forward to exploring. But do grab them afterwards. If you've got anything particularly you want to ask, if you want to pray for them, I'm sure they'd love to be prayed with because they both have significant ministries. If God is pressing something on your heart, 
Or maybe there's somebody in the congregation that you need to pray with today that God is saying, look, that's the person I want you just to go and speak to today. So be aware of what, what God is already doing and know that he's going to continue that work after you've, you've been there as well. But he's well pleased with you today. And uh, can we just show our appreciation to these guys today? Thank you so much. And so I pray that this Advent season would be a real season of fruit in our lives, that we will take this opportunity, this season of opportunities to invite people into the Christmas story, into the Jesus story. And if it's a story that you don't know very well, then please make contact with us. We'd love to help you to find this story. For those of you online, make contact with us. We'd love to equip you, to encourage you, and to challenge you uh, to what it takes for Jesus to know you and to love you and to be well pleased with you.